The content here is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult a healthcare professional with any medical questions and concerns. If you are experiencing an emergency or need immediate help, call 911. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapeutic relationship. I just get so angry. It's hard to sit still. I don't want to be this way. My brain just feels all scrambled. Hello and welcome to Scrambled. I'm your co-host, Chad Douglas. And I'm Nikki Shields. This is episode 22, Symptom or Superpower. Bum, bum, bum. So what are we talking about with this episode, Nikki? This episode seemed like a good idea to me because what I see in my practice working with kids and families is that oftentimes kids with mental health conditions, symptoms, diagnoses, what have you, uh, have other traits or skills or strengths that they might not otherwise have had without their mental health struggle. Um, and so sometimes those strengths appear, you know, in childhood while they're struggling with a particular mental health symptom. And sometimes it allows them to develop strengths as they, you know, grow up into adolescence and adulthood. And so I thought um, it would be fun for us to talk a little bit about how something that seems problematic or, you know, is diagnosable can actually be a positive thing for kids at some point in their life. Does everybody with a mental health diagnosis have a quote unquote superpower and they just have to unlock it? I mean, I, I want to say yes, but I, I, okay. I don't I don't know that I know that. I mean, I, I think okay. some people it's it's there and it's just a matter of tapping into it and finding it or looking for it. But like for others, it might be a more conscious, intentional thing of, of saying, OK, so we have to deal with this thing. This this thing is not fun. Um, it's a hardship, but let's find the good in it. And they might have to actively seek a positive outcome to go along with the, the hardship. And I mean, taking it away from mental health, you know, humans experience hardship pretty much constantly off and on throughout mm -hmm. their lives, right? Like that we're kind of designed to deal with hard stuff. And so I think a really healthy coping skill or a really healthy way to approach problems is to go, hey, this is hard. I don't like it, but what am I going to do to get through it? What am I going to do to make it better? And so I think kids with mental illness, kids with, you know, symptoms of, of various diagnoses, if they do the same thing or if they have family members who kind of work with them to help them find the good in their particular symptomology and, and how that might be helping them in other ways, I just think it, it makes it a little bit easier to endure the difficulty that comes along with it. I agree. Do you think pessimism is a mental illness? So I think pessimism can contribute to mental illness. I think <laughs> that would be me. Like my glass is always <laughs> half empty. So how do you find somebody who might look at everything in a pessimistic view to try to find the good, whether there is an anxiety or ADHD diagnosis or not? Well, so in this case, you mentioned specifically pessimism. I mean, a strength there is if you're a pessimist, you're not probably getting your hopes up super high. And so your, your like frequency of disappointment isn't going to be Don't as wait. high as, right? Right. Because I mean, so there's a strength in that you're, you're like prepared for realistic outcomes. So that's a good thing. Huh. You, you, you uh, don't get yeah. your, your hopes dashed quite as readily as someone who's like, everything is wonderful. Right. So, I mean, there, there's strength there. Yeah. Okay. All right. But it's, it's tapping into that and, and valuing it. Which I think is hard. It's very hard, especially if you're disagreeing with someone who has a more optimistic viewpoint. You know, they may have a hard time seeing that as a strength. But if you can look at it that way, it just kind of helps you endure what comes along with being more, you know, negative or pessimistic. All right, cool. Well, I, I found myself to be more of a, uh, you know, even though I do consider myself a pessimist, it's a whatever will be, will be. It's like, okay, this happened. 
what do we need to do? But if I could harness that energy and go, what can we learn from this? How can we make the situation better? That would be the the road to travel. Yeah, that would be a great way to use your energy. And then, and the way you said harness is is uh, great because that's that's kind of what I want to get at. I mean, with kids, their strength or their superpower isn't necessarily going to to shine through, especially during you know the early weeks, months, and years of a diagnosis and learning to adjust and kind of figuring out what works for um, each kiddo and family. Uh, but if you sort of tackle the thing, whatever it is, the symptom, the set of symptoms, um, and you figure out how to harness that for good and, and use that to move you forward, that's awesome. So some examples that I can think of, you know, a lot of really anxious kids, um, the more inhibited anxious type are fairly like cautious. These are kids mm-hmm. who are less likely to do a lot of daredevil risky stuff, even in their teen years, they're a little more reserved, a little more, you know, safe on the road and safe with their peers and less likely to try dangerous things. Um, and so that anxiety kind of acts as a, a protective thing, which is cool because that's huh. what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, the, on the flip side of that, you can have anxiety that, you know, keeps kids from engaging socially and keeps them from taking risks that are healthy and good and trying new things. Um, but you want to find that balance. And so that would be one example. Um, kids who are anxious or who grow up uh, worrying a lot also tend to have a fair amount more empathy for other people. So they're, hmm. they're more likely to understand. I mean, I, I think my childhood anxiety, one of the greatest things that came from that is, you know, I can sit down with somebody today and recognize that they might be struggling with anxiety and hear them out and spend time with them and, you know, help them to see that what they have is, is not that abnormal, that lots of people struggle with that. Um, and I wouldn't have been able to do that without my own experiences. And so hmm. you can take that and, and eventually turn it into something good. But I do think for parents, I mean, sometimes it happens just over time, right? A lot of our hardships lead to we overcome struggles and we develop strengths, right? And it's it's a process that takes place throughout our growing up years and into adulthood. But sometimes we can be intentional about it and say, you know, this is this is a thing that's really hard, but let's look for the good in it. Let's look for how, you know, this the symptom that you have, you know, how it's actually helping our family. You know, so for some kids, if their behaviors, their emotions are causing difficulties, it brings the family together, right? It, mm. it creates, you know, kind of a need to work together to find solutions. And that's a pretty cool thing. Well, I know, again, pessimist, but I say with my son's anxiety, and I'm sitting here going like, you know, let's find his superpower. We have, uh, we have until the end of this episode to find his superpower, Nikki, that's our job. <laughs> but we, I've told him many times, like, you've been diagnosed with anxiety. You know you have it. You know it's part of your life. Now we need to learn to live that life and and you know deal with it, so to speak. Um, but then I also tell people that because of his anxiety, it's made me a better human being, also a better parent, but just in general a better human being because now I can be a little bit more empathetic and relatable to to kids who and even adults who might have something like anxiety or ADHD or something, and, and it just kind of relates to them a little bit better and, and and can rationalize with them instead of scolding him for something he does. It's like, okay, what's the underlying issue here? So there's a positive for me that that his anxiety has given me uh, uh, the chance to be a better human being. And who doesn't want to be a better human being? <laughs> and and I think that that like for a lot of families, when their kids are in the thick of it, right, it, it's it's the parents who have the opportunity to learn and grow. I know mm-hmm. that, you know, I thought I knew everything until I had kids and then I thought I knew lots. And then and then I found out I had a kid that had ADHD and I realized I knew nothing. And um, but that experience has has given me, you know, so much more understanding of what other families go through. It's, you know, helped me to look at my child in a way that 
you know, instead of being frustrated with the struggles, I can find beauty in the creative way in which she goes about doing things. And so I think it, it gives parents the opportunity to learn and grow first. And then as kids get older, you start to see it. And I, you know, I think it would be, well, we've interviewed a few people on here who have kids who, you know, they were anxious as children, but now as adults, they're, they're doing well and they're functioning. And I bet if we, you know, ask them, they would say, yeah, well, because of this symptom or because my child struggled with this, he or she has, you know, these skills or these talents that would not otherwise have been there. And so sometimes it's, it's quite the process, but it does kind of start with families. And my favorite thing to do is, is to sit down with a family and, and help mom and dad see, you know, what, what, how they've grown, what they've figured out, what they do differently now because of what's happening with their child. Um, because I think that's just the start of a lot of really cool things that can come from it. Here comes my uh, glass half empty comment though, not to take away the frustrating part, because sometimes it is frustrating. And I just want to reemphasize what you said before that you're allowed to feel your feelings. Mm -hmm. Maybe just don't show that frustration in front yeah. of the anxious kiddo. Yeah. Yeah. But and I, I think that's that happens a too. It does. And I think it's so important to realize that, you know, if you're sitting there with your child and you're thinking, yes, my child has this, this, you know, mental health condition or situation going on. I can't find the good in it. There is no, this is horrible. That's okay. It's okay to sit in that space because mm -hmm. like anytime you get bad news or, um, you know, you have to adjust to some change or something doesn't go the way you want it to, you're allowed to have big feelings just like your kids are. And so you don't have to sit down and look at your child and be like, Hey, this is great. Look at all the good that's coming from this because you're not there yet. And that's okay. Yeah. But I, but I put this out there and I say this because I think you will get there. I think that, you know, most families reach a place where they go, yeah, we wouldn't have like signed up for this, or maybe we didn't ask for this, but you know, some, some cool things have come out of it. And I truly believe that, you know, kids who struggle during childhood, you know, if they have support, they're given the opportunity to learn skills. They have so much better odds in adulthood than kids that never struggle with anything. Um, hmm. And so <clears throat> I think it's important to to, you know, give yourself time and space to adjust and also just let development continue to happen. If you can't see the good yet, that's okay. You know, give it time. I also think it's important to to put it out there in the universe when you find something good or you, you think that good thought, write it down, have a diary. Mm -hmm. Or I know you and I have both have written blogs in the past because it's it's a nice escape for us and just kind of it, it allowed me to get my feelings out of my head onto mm -hmm. um, to a electronic piece of paper or talk to a friend or, your, or even your, your co-parent about it to be like, you know what? This happens. It's frustrating, but look at look at the good that came out of it, and just start kind of reiterating that. I think will help you find the good a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. Yes, I and I loved when I would write about my kids. I haven't done it as much lately, but it was always such a surprise. I would sit down with the intention of telling one story, and by the time I had finished, I had written a completely different story. There was something there under the surface, mm -hmm. just sort of waiting to get out, and I, um, I I wouldn't know that until I was into it. And so, uh, a lot of times we you know, as parents and, a, you know, adults who are caring for children, we need to have a way to process those difficult emotions because we're trying to keep it together for them. Um, but there's a lot going on under the surface for us too. So yeah. I don't want anyone to listen to this episode and think, oh gosh, because I can't see my child's, you know, strengths yet. We're failing. No, just no. That, my hope is that you will gain hope that one day you'll look back and go, wow, because of these things that were so challenging, you know, look how much stronger my kid is or look how much kinder they are to other people. Um, yeah. And look how much stronger we are as a family because, you know, we made it through. I wrote a blog post once. It was Valentine's Day. My daughter was in third, uh, three-year-old preschool. My son was in first grade. So I went to their Valentine's parties and I, I had like the greatest day, right? It's one of those mm -hmm. where when you think of a, a parent and one day I'm going to have kids and I'm going to do this and that and that, 
it was that day. So I wrote a blog about it. And literally the first part of it is I realize this is a public blog, but I'm writing this for myself. So in the future, when I have a difficult day with my children, I can come back and I can read this mm -hmm. blog about how great this day was. And I still in my head can picture the the photo I had and it was my daughter mm -hmm. in three-year-old preschool making her Valentine's box. And she's kind of looks up at me. She's not like smiling ear to ear, but she just has a cute little look on her face. And it's like, anytime I get frustrated, I can a go back and read the blog or just kind of mentally picture that picture yep. and be like, yep. yeah, the good days certainly outweigh the bad, but it's the negative that just kind of feel like they, they yep. outweigh. So let's move on a little bit. Uh, we've talked uh, some anxiety and some of the good qualities that can come of that. We've talked quite a bit actually in this episode about ADHD. And even though our podcast doesn't really focus on that, what are some good things that can come out of, out of, uh, out of that? Because as I understand, and this was given to me by a uh, mental health professional, ADHD and anxiety are quote, kissing cousins. They kind of, <laughs> <laughs> they're a little related um, and, yeah. and kind of run in the same circles. So what good can come out of an ADHD diagnosis? So ADHD is, is one of those tricky things that, you know, I, I have so much to say about it, but I'm going to do my best to, to kind of keep this, you know, into a, a reasonable episode length. But um, ADHD, I believe, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, we're going to look back and what we call ADHD today is actually going to be several different disorders kind of broken down even more so. I mean, it's it's evolved a bunch during my time in the field. Um, but I think it's going to continue. We're going to identify other things because, you know, there's a lot of overlap. You mentioned ADHD and anxiety and, you know, th those things happen together all the time. OCD, anxiety, mm -hmm. OCD, ADHD, um, sensory processing disorder and ADHD, autism and ADHD. There's so much connection between all the different like categories of childhood mental illness that with ADHD that I truly believe we just maybe don't have it all figured out. But the the important thing is to remember that these diagnoses are things that, you know, they're essentially man-made. We've, we've created them to help explain conditions and all of those conditions take place in the body, right? And so they're going to be interconnected and you're going to see kids that have, you know, a lot of anxiety symptoms, but also a little bit of ADHD. And it's hard to tell the difference. And oftentimes I think kids are diagnosed with ADHD when what they really had was anxiety. And so it's just, it's kind of a, a murky, murky space. Yeah. But when it comes to an ADHD diagnosis, it can be very hard when kids are three, four, five years old and they're, you know, bouncing off walls or have a hard time listening or just aren't processing what you're saying because they're moving too quick. Um, but as they get older, some, some really cool features can emerge. And I think it's up to parents to kind of watch for those and find the good, even when it's hard. I remember, um, let's see, when my oldest was probably four, five, six, something like that, uh, we were at my mom's house and I, I didn't get permission to tell this story. So I'll have to ask for forgiveness later, but we were at my mom's <laughs> house and my kiddo was going through, she kept opening drawers, right. And getting into things that just really weren't hers. And I, I remember mom making a comment like, she can't just open drawers all the time. And I was looking at it through the lens of, well, yeah, but she's incredibly curious and she she's doesn't exploring. have impulse control. And so she's looking, you know, she's looking for entertainment. She's looking for adventure. She's looking for fun. And she doesn't yet have that like stop button that says, this is not my stuff. I shouldn't be going through this. So, you know, we talked about it a little bit and it went well. And the next time we came to visit grandma, uh, my mom had put together a tub full of just random things. And there was just a bunch of fun, like, kid friendly objects and some different things in there. And so she, she basically was like, Hey, she wants to have an adventure. Let's create one for her. Nice. And she had so much fun with that. And it just, it was like, this could have been a disciplinary issue. This could have been something where like, you know, 
you need self-control, you know, but what it turned into was, oh, okay, I see what she's looking for. How can we give that to her in a safe way? So she's not opening drawers that have scissors or whatever in them. Um, and so that was a really cool, you know, kind of moment. And I just love the creativity that she put into that. And so things like that, parents can, you know, if you view the behavior, it's like, hey, my child is really, really energetic and really creative and really exploring their environment. And you create a system where it's safe for them to do that. It's you, you stop looking at it like, oh, there's something wrong. You just go, this is this is how they're wired, right? This is what my kid does. And this is how mm -hmm. she figures out her world. And I'm not going to, I'm going to keep her safe, right? But I'm also not going to look at it as bad behavior, you know, every time she does something that's kind of impulsive. I love that story, Nikki. And I don't think you need to ask for forgiveness at all. I think that's a great story to share. And there was nothing uh, harmful in that. It's, it's, it's keeping her safe. And I'm glad your mom was was that way of like, okay, then let's, this is how she wants to learn. Let's, let's make it safe. That's good. Yep. Yep. And, and I think that, that, you know, that's not exactly, you know, along the same lines of like a superpower, but I think it's, it's this, I think of it as connected because if we start to look at like impulsive behavior or not listening or not following directions, those things that like we get frustrated with as adults mm -hmm. uh, and we, and we give it a different title, we give it a different label and we get creative about how we respond to it. Um, you know, it's so much more fun to think of my child as a creative explorer <laughs> than to think of her as a kid with poor boundaries and impulse control. Right. Yeah. And it, it helped me to find a strength. Absolutely. And you mentioned how much things have changed just in your field of study. I, I do know that early on it was ADD, attention deficit disorder. Now that's gone to the wayside. It's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And ADD hasn't gone away completely. It's they're both exist. Okay. It's it's attention deficit disorder and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So you can have kids who have, you know, like they're, they're inattentive and it's more like a cognitive focus thing. You can have kids who are inattentive, but also hyperactive. And you can have kids that have, you know, both. Um, and you can also have a completely different like presentation of that. And it would be considered like unspecified, right? It would be like ADHD unspecified. So there's a lot of different ways. And then a new, um, a new diagnostic manual just came out and I haven't even looked at that to see um, oh, how they, if they've broken it down further. So um, the, the diagnosis itself, they basically the idea is like, how do we capture, you know, what happens most commonly, but also how does that direct treatment? How does that help us decide what kids need? Because the child who has hyperactivity needs a very different approach than a child who just can't focus their attention, but is not, you know, moving all over the place. But a child with hyperactivity, you think of physical hyperactivity, fidgeting, can't sit still, mm -hmm. but could also be brain hyperactivity. So they might not be hyper, so to speak, but their brain just isn't shutting off. Right. The, right? Ch the channel is okay. changing in their mind over and over and over again. Yeah. And so when it <laughs> comes analogy. to ADHD, I like to look, there are some really cool traits that, that can come along with that. So in my child's particular case, she has ADHD and a sensory processing disorder. And we do see those things together quite a bit. And so, um, for her, like she's always been hypersensitive to smell. And most of the time when she was really little, it was like kind of embarrassing because we, you know, we would like go to someone's house and she'd be like, it smells here. And we'd be like, she can't say that. Yeah. Um, or we'd be behind someone in line at the grocery store and you're like, she smells bad. You know, and, and these are things you don't want your children to say. Um, so that was a problem. But it did end up being kind of a, a lifesaver for us. At one point, uh, I had got new phone chargers for the kids and I, one was was melting. It was literally like the hole was burning through the the cord plugged into her phone. And but she Yikes. smelled it. She smelled like the hot plastic. And she's like, something's wrong. What is it? I couldn't smell it. And I was ready to just dismiss her. But she's like, Mom, no, something's on fire. I can smell it. And we found that this was happening. And if if I had gone with my instincts, the house would have caught on fire. And so in this case, her hypersensitivity to smell 
um, huh. is a superpower and, you know, definitely helped yeah. us. And so, you know, instead of being like, no, nah, you know, I don't dismiss it. If she smells something, we pay attention to it because I think that that, you know, can be very helpful. Just out of curiosity, where do you land on folks who just have like a little bit of a, a precognition that something's going to happen? You hear, you know, that proverbial sixth sense. Is that something that's legitimate? Is it is an, is it a part of another condition or is it just happenstance? Like I can't speak on it with authority, but I will say that I think that's a def. It's definitely related to what we're talking about because I do think mm-hmm. that there are kids who are so sensitive to their environment, they're so sensitive mm-hmm. to changes in others, so sensitive to like atmospheric changes that they will pick up on things and and seemingly like sense what's going to happen before it happens. Um, you yeah. know, I can't get into like premonitions or mind reading, or I don't, I you know. It's interesting to read about, but I don't. I don't have any knowledge. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> read you your mind. There. See yeah. what you did there. But I, I do think that there are, especially with anxiety. I mean, this loops us back to anxiety real quick. But um, kids who are very anxious are they know they're getting a cold three days before they have any symptoms. They they can hmm. sense when the weather's changing. They you know without looking outside or reading their phone app or whatever. I mean, it, these kids are just tuned in to I say the universe, but you know. I don't know how deep it goes. Um, and so there's something to that. And I think that can definitely be a superpower for, for Absolutely. struggling with anxiety. Yep. As we've talked about before, Nikki, emotions have a job. And we've talked a lot about uh, mental illness issues, anxiety, ADHD. But what about other emotions that we feel? What's their job and how can you turn that into some good stuff? Oh, so I love this. So strong emotion. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, disappointment we talked about recently. And that that's like one of the hardest emotions to cope with because, you know, we build our hopes up. We go, I want this thing or I want to do whatever. I, you know, this is really important and exciting. And then it doesn't happen. And then we have to cope with that. And so um, disappointments like that, you know, grief is a terribly difficult emotion, rejection, mm-hmm. loneliness, all of these things are unpleasant. And they, you know, as we've talked about before, they are our body's way of communicating. And so we can experience something like rejection. And we can sort of wallow in the heartache and feel lonely and isolated and, you know, sort of buy into, well, nobody wants to hang out with me or, you know, they're not my friends or whatever, whatever the thing is. Um, or we can allow ourselves a little bit of time, you know, to get through the the heaviness of it, the, the biggest part of the big emotion. And then we can go, okay, well, what can I do with this? And so, you know, I was just talking to a good friend today and she was saying that, you know, she'd had a, a difficult social situation recently. And um, then a few days later, she saw the opportunity to to kind of step up as a friend to someone else, someone who needed some support. And mm. she said it was nice to take her heartache and, you know, kind of the, the bad feelings that she had from that other experience and turn that into an opportunity to help someone else. And I just, it really clicked for me that, you know, like when we can take those things, well, I, I think of people who have lost important others and then they've turned their grief into, you know, like fundraising or awareness or, you know, memorialize that person in such a meaningful way that changed other people's lives. And so um, I think it's important when we go through hardship, you know, to look at what can we do with that pain? What, you know, because again, we're going to have pain. There's really no way around it. What can we do when we experience pain to, you know, turn that into helping others, um, being, you know, being able to support somebody else who's going through something similar? What can we do with our painful emotions? Yeah, I, I think a future episode on grief is is warranted as well. Um, I recently had some disappointment and <laughs> griped about it to my wife enough, and then I just finally got over it. I mean, 
I don't know if that's <laughs> healthy or not, but I, you know, I wish I would have done something good with it, but. Well, just- so it, there's no statute of limitations on, you know, using your difficult emotions for good, but also like oh. I, I, you bring up a good point that it's, it's completely okay to just kind of get over something too. You know, it, it, we can't take every symptom or every emotion and turn it into some superpower. It's, I think the, the biggest struggles are the most likely to turn into something good down the road. You know, I think of like the really shy kids who go on to, you know, become really kind adults who include others and, you know, are very careful not to, you know, leave people out and that kind of, you know, there's, there's so Mm -hmm, many good mm -hmm. things that can come from that struggle, but it's also okay to just be upset about something and gripe about it a little bit and then, and then let it go when the time comes. But I don't think it's too late. I think you could, you could turn that around if you see an opportunity. Feel you judging me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can you give us maybe three tips for parents to help their child find that superpower? Okay. Tip number one is model that turnaround yourself. So like when you experience hardship or you have a symptom, like I, 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 you know, I've overcome anxiety in the, in the clinical sense, but I absolutely still worry. And anytime mm-hmm. I am super worried about it, I try to model what I'm doing with it. Like I uh, was coming home from work yesterday. I knew the kids were home by themselves and I called both their phones and nobody answered and I panicked. And it was just like terror because I'm like, well, the house has exploded and they're gone. And and it's all because I didn't get home from work in time. And so, you know, I'm going down this really negative path in my head and they're just, you know, like they got their phone on silent in the other room and they're playing a video game. Right. So when I got home, you know, I of course was like, (laughs) when I'm not here, you need to answer your phone. I call and there was the, you know, the typical mom lecture, but then I sat them down and I was like, gosh, you know, I was really anxious and my anxiety kind of turned into anger and I was frustrated. And so that wasn't very nice of me. And so next time I'm anxious, um, you know, here's what I'm going to do, but also here's some things we can do as a family to make sure this doesn't happen again. (laughs) <laughs> turn your phone on, <laughs> you know, answer, answer when I call, phone. that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's, it, it's quite important for the parent to be able to kind of model this and take their own stuff and turn it into, you know, good or make, you know, make sense of it for kids. Because when we do that with our emotions, then they kind of grow up going, oh, okay, emotions have a job and it's okay to talk about them. And here's what we can do with them. Right. Um, so tip number one, model it. Right. Okay. Tip number two, when you have one of those moments, kind of like when you were talking before about you you would write or blog about your kids on a really mm-hmm. good day, so you'd have the ability to kind of remember it, come back to it. When you have a moment where you see that their particular trait, symptom, you know, affliction um, served a good purpose, point it out, celebrate it. Like when, when my child's super sniffer saved our house, you know, I played that up and um, I even apologize for all the times that I've given her, you know, crap for, uh, you know, being overly sensitive to smell. I'm like, gosh, that's such a cool thing, you know, that you you were able to do that. And so point it out, celebrate it, notice it. Um, even if your child doesn't buy into it, they're hearing you notice it. And that's something that they can then use later. Okay. And the final tip would be kind of like I said before, if you're experiencing hardship, if your child is experiencing a mental health symptom, if it's not possible to see the good yet, give it time. Give it time because you're not supposed to see the good in all of the hard things that happen until later anyway. So if you can't find it, 
don't don't pressure yourself to pressure your child. Just keep your eye out for it. Watch for it. And, you know, anytime you go through something difficult, you kind of have to give yourself space to experience the difficult part. And that's what's going to help you get to the good part. Now that wraps up episode 22, Symptom or Superpower. And it also wraps up uh, May being Mental Health Month. If you're a regular listener, first, thank you. Uh, second, we released a new episode every Wednesday for Mental Health Month. So we're going to go back to our regular every other Wednesday schedule. So we'll take next week off. When we come back, we're going to talk about processing your anxiety diagnosis. So your kiddo's gotten that diagnosis, how to properly process it, and where do we go from there is kind of what we're going to talk about. We do want to remind you we're on social media. We're on Scrambled Podcast uh, on Facebook. We also ask that you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That gets more eyes and ears on the podcast and uh, helps us reach more people. Our goal with starting this podcast was to start a conversation, and that conversation continues with you. <laughs>